This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 369, September the 4th, 1996. This evening, Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, Mark Rushdoony, and I will be discussing, first of all, a general subject, but basically charity, Christian charity versus welfareism. The reason why I chose this subject was that I recently read a very interesting book and I suddenly realized it wasn't the first one in that perspective that I had read. Uh, however, it is the best book that I have seen in its critique of charity and its favoring of welfareism. The man is uh, Mark B. Katz, a professor of history and education and director of the Urban Studies Program at the University of Pennsylvania. He's, a, as I said, a very able man. The book is a superior book in spite of its uh, prejudice and its hostility to private charity. Uh, his position can be seen by this citation. I quote, The bifurcation of welfare into social insurance and public assistance trapped the architects of John F. Kennedy's New Frontier and Lyndon B. Johnson's Great Society who wanted to wage war on poverty, for it ruled out any serious attempt to redistribute wealth, guarantee incomes, or tamper with the structure of American capitalism. Indeed, as his concessions to the steel industry uh, and tax cut made clear, John F. Kennedy did not intend to antagonize business or modify its power and privileges. Neither did Lyndon Johnson. Rather, through the magic of economic growth, they expected simultaneously to strengthen American capitalism, ameliorate suffering and injustice, and reduce the impact of racism on black Americans. Unquote. That gives you his essentially statist and more or less socialist approach. It is a superior book in its historical analysis and much of the data it gives, but definitely not sympathetic to private charity, in particular Christian charity. We are moving towards a situation in which statism wants to suppress in one area after another, the freedom of Christians to be charitable. In my lifetime, many, many of the things, institutions and agencies that once marked the Christian scene are now gone. They have been ruled out as unfit. Meanwhile, the attitude of uh, the state is an interesting one. It is less and less concerned with morality, with anything that deals directly and without restrictions with problems. I think we can see what is happening in one sphere after another, but perhaps uh, best of all, in the courts. The Griffiths of uh, Washington, uh, Texas, sent me a copy of a Barton letter which tells you what the law and the courts have become. A man was convicted, I'm quoting, and sentenced for drowning his wife. But the Court of Criminal Appeals reversed the conviction 
because the indictment did not say specifically what she drowned in. Water, milk, cola, etc.? A man convicted of murdering a young Houston woman at a traffic light had his conviction overturned by the Court of Criminal Appeals because the jury pool was randomly shuffled twice instead of once. A man was convicted of the shotgun slaying of a Plano liquor store clerk. He confessed, signed a written statement, and initialed his Miranda rights. Yet that conviction was overturned by the Court of Criminal Appeals because initialing was not the same as waiving his rights. A man's conviction of kicking and stomping an elderly woman to death was reversed because the course of criminal appeals said the state did not specify that he used his feet. Unquote. Well, I cite this deliberately to illustrate what is happening in one sphere after another. Not just the courts, but every area of government. What rules in all these cases? Not morality, but technicality. So that whether it is in welfare problems, we are steadily moved away from a moral perspective to a bureaucratic and technical one. Only when there is a threat to the welfare funds do we have heartbreaking appeals, uh, so to speak, in that we are shown this poor woman and these poor children and what will happen if these cuts go through. At other times, the approach is purely a bureaucratic and technical one, not a moral approach. Well, the essence of the Christian perspective is a moral one. St. Paul says with regard to charity, he that will not work, let him not eat. And it says that a man and his faith are to be judged by his responsibility towards them of his own household, his family in particular, and the Christian community. And he that is not charitable here is worse than an infidel and has de denied the faith. Well, the biblical perspective stresses that we are to love our neighbors, ourselves. We are to be mindful of his needs. And it puts it on a personal and a moral level. When you put welfare in the place of charity and it becomes the function of a vast bureaucracy to administer it, it is depersonalized. It no longer considers the individual. It is interested in dehumanizing it because the statist perspective is not moral nor personal. Its goal is statist power, statist authority, the predominance of the state in every and, uh, and any sphere where it has controls. Well, with that uh, brief introduction, Douglas, would you like to comment on the matter? Well, I was just uh, uh, thinking about the uh, fact that every time Mother Teresa catches cold, uh, it's front page news in the media in the United States. And she is... Uh, uh, lionized in the press in this country for her charitable work in India, yet the same press uh, takes great efforts to uh, do what it can to uh, diminish or marginalize uh, Christian efforts in this country. And there's just kind of an incongruity there between uh, giving recognition 
where it's due. Uh, regarding the courts, uh, the courts are simply flexing their muscles. I've heard over and over attorneys uh, advise me that the judge will say what the law is. They've used that term in exactly those words. The judge will say what the law is. Uh, not applying the law <clears throat> or um, uh, Seeking, uh, seeking the truth to, to uh, eventually arrive at justice in whatever the case is, but simply to impose a result as uh, uh, based on whatever the judge thinks the law ought to be. And we've seen this judicial activism now for about the last 50 years in this country, and it's destroyed. People don't know what, what's right and what's wrong anymore because they never know when they go to court whether they're going to get justice or whether they're going to get their throat cut. Um, you just never know, particularly in a civil case. You know, you may have the most righteous case in the world and you go into court and the judge will say, well, it's not worthy, you know, for one reason or another. And it's usually very vague. Um, the other thing is that the, the, the government or states have learned something from the uh, uh, private charities of using the poster child to evoke sympathy. I remember the March of Dimes mm -hmm. uh, drives back during World War II, the Sister Kenny Foundation and so forth, and they would always, you know, put pictures up in the newsreels and on billboards and so forth of a child who had polio in order to evoke sympathy and get people to donate money. Well, the federal government does the same thing. Any time that the federal government's uh, power to to uh, be the sole dispenser of uh, public largesse, uh, they use the poster child. So they, they're using the same tools that have uh, been used by private charities before. Uh, the... Uh, but there's a curious double standard regarding charity. Christian charities, uh, as long as they're approved by the press, they're all right. But if they're not approved by the press, it seems like we now have political correctness uh, regarding charity. Uh, you mentioned Mother Teresa Douglas some few years back. Two things happened. Mother Teresa was given a Nobel Prize. Then she attempted to begin work in the Western world. She selected New York City as one such spot. She felt that there were horrible conditions there and that she and the other nuns could minister to them and be very effectual. However, what they found was that there was such a bureaucratic nightmare that there was no way they could qualify to uh, get any piece of property and convert it into a facility to minister to the needy without spending so much money that it would have uh, put it out of reach to begin with. So they finally get, gave up. Now, the media which has hailed her throughout Europe and the United States didn't pick up on this. It was barely mentioned. Most people in this country did not know that Mother Teresa was really turned down by New York City insofar as any effort to uh, start a work there is concerned. Well, this, you know, it's, this is a classic case that the emperor has no clothes. Uh, the government has failed miserably in its uh, attempts to be the sole dispenser of charity. That's right. Uh, and they don't want Mother Teresa, they don't want any competition. You know, it's like the mafia wants to keep street crime down because right. they don't want any competition. The, fe the uh, federal government uh, doesn't want any competition from Christian charities because... Uh, the, its very existence, the very existence of Christian charity would indicate that the government has not been able to do the job when yes. everybody, you mm -hmm. can look in any direction 
and the government hasn't done the job. They've simply made things worse. It's a rebuke to them, isn't it? Sure it is. Rush, I think the problem with Mother Teresa was the uh, elevators, wasn't it? Did you hear yes. that story? She they said that we don't need elevators in our building. I said nuns can go up and down the stairs with no problem, but uh, apparently they couldn't pass the building code because uh, they didn't have elevators. Yes. That was one among a number of things that was going to be made a roadblock. Well, they always find something. I remember when I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, there was a soup kitchen that fed the poor that was a, uh, uh, I don't know whether it was Salvation Army charity, but it was a Christian uh, based organization and uh, the city uh, found a way of shutting them down uh, first they complained about the fact that the recipients had to listen to a short sermon and uh, say a prayer over the food before they, were, they could eat and the city objected to that uh, when the city had no right to object to it as long as the people were doing it voluntarily the city had nothing to say about it so then when that didn't fly, then they, uh, they started uh, uh, doing the white glove ins uh, inspection oh, yes. like in the military, you know, where they look in uh, places that of no consequences to find the slightest speck of dust or dirt, and uh, they closed it down on uh, health code violations. When I'll tell you, I used to read water meters in San Francisco when I was going to college, and I used to go in all of these restaurants, particularly in Chinatown, and it used to turn my stomach. Let yeah. me tell you, the conditions in the basements and the and the uh, uh, some of these kitchens there, it might be all right for the people that live there, but uh, you know, if you're worried about health code violations, <laughs> there yeah. isn't there isn't one in a hundred of them that could pass any kind of an inspection, much less one that's uh, you know dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. Yeah. You know, too, the state has a different conceptual basis. They don't like the word charity. They like the word entitlements. Yes. Uh, their view is that um, the less fortunate, we would poor people in society, should be guaranteed a certain standard of living. And charity has about a pejorative expression. It's as though the wealthy people, you know, sort of uh, grudgingly give well, money or yeah, but there's a very subtle uh, thing involved in that terminology. When you say entitlement, uh, as we have seen, uh, people who uh, uh, acquire this attitude that they're entitled to somebody else's sweat uh, start demanding. And the state likes those demands because exactly. then that reinforces the government's power Absolutely. And, and creates an obvious need uh, so that they can justify the taxation of the general population to support it. So, you know, the semantics, sema the semantics there is not without purpose. Entitlements in this country are all about state power. Exactly. Before we go on, uh, Mark, uh, I'll let you speak in a moment. Uh, our engineer, Bob, uh, slipped me a note saying, the sign above Mother Teresa's door reads, none, N-U-N, of the above. <laughs> <laughs> Mark? Well, will you finish, Andrew? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Well, I think you're right about the, uh, they don't like charity and they don't like private groups, especially Christian groups, um, controlling charity because it takes power from the state. And they don't like power being in the hands of other organizations. Although, and I don't know what the exact figures are, a tremendous amount of charity in this country is still charitable when you think of such organizations as um, United Way, Salvation Army, Goodwill Industries, there's a, and there's a host of, of smaller localized organizations from you know local soup kitchen and such. A massive amount of local charity is still private, and that's completely ignored in the discussion of helping. I mean, when they talk about cutting uh, a dollar from a government program, they're talking about uh, an irreplaceable dollar that will that poor people will never see. So they're they they speak in terms of though the government program is all poor people will ever yeah. have available to yeah. them, and they completely ignore private charity right. uh, in their discussion of provision for uh, the needy. I was told once 
by someone when I was, I was fighting a fire and they had a there was a Salvation Army uh, kind of like a catering truck there um, you know giving uh, soup and candy bars and hot coffee to the local residents that were affected by the fire that, that chose not to evacuate the firefighters and he said that he made the claim that that uh, um, the Salvation Army was the largest church in the world I don't I don't know if that's true no, the Roman no, Catholic Church but, um, or maybe he meant the largest Protestant oh, church. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't really it's recall what he said. Biggest operation in the sphere of charity. But um, there's a real contempt for the word charity. Yes, and there's a correct. contempt for the word charity amongst the recipients who are used to status welfare. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because charity involves that somebody is doing you a kindness, somebody is doing mm -hmm. you a favor. It then... Uh, Gratitude then is is by implication necessary if somebody is giving you charity, right. and they don't want to have to be grateful. They, they, they like the entitlements right. that they have a right. Yeah, but to it's, what they're it's not really. Uh, you know, people misinterpret that. It's it's uh, Christ's love, Christ's love for His people flowing out to people who need help. You mm -hmm. know, uh, unless people understand that, they miss the whole point of what charity mm -hmm. is. Yeah. There was an interesting article on uh, the second editorial page of the Wall Street Journal in mid-August of 1996. And the author called attention to the fact that uh, a major critique by public school advocates of uh, Christian schools is well, they take the best and give us the leftovers, and uh, so it's not fair to compare them to us. Of course, they can do better when they have the best students. The author pointed out that this very common charge is radically in error. He said there are over 3,000 schools in the United States created by Christians, which do nothing but minister to special cases, handicapped children, retarded, you name it, or, of course, problem children. Over 3,000 schools, and yet nothing is said about them. They're not publicized, but they are there. And, of course, they don't like the... Uh, idea that Christians are so effective here. And I recall in the Lester Roloff trial of the 70s, the fact was brought out that uh, Roloff School for Delinquent Boys and Girls had about a 95% rehabilitation ratio so that these children became very very fine Christians as well and the number that really went bad was very small by comparison not all the 5% that did not become Christian uh, went back to their old ways well as against that, the state uh, work with delinquents had almost no success with any of the thousands of children they worked with. So everything is done to suppress the success of the Christian community, whether it's in the field of education or charity or rehabilitation whatever sphere, and to exalt the statist approach, which is basically a non-moral approach. The belief, just as in the public schools, that education will save you, is that in other spheres that psychological rehabilitation will make the child a good person, or that the welfare worker is going to make the welfare recipients into fine law-abiding citizens. It simply isn't so.
Well, that's true. The statistics simply aren't there. There was a, a fellow the other night in law enforcement who cited that uh, the rate of recidivism is something like 95% among the kids that are sent to the California Youth Authority. They commit another crime within hours after they get out, and it's a revolving door. I mean, they practically, you know, they live there. Uh, so it's obvious that the, the system has failed. Uh, yet all of these, uh, uh, you know, Christian uh, boot camp type things that have been have been highly successful, but they get virtually no no public notice. Right. We have to acknowledge, though, that it's largely because of the delinquency of the family and the church, especially about oh, 100, 150 years ago, that the messianic state was able to come in and begin to assume these responsibilities. I mean, the, the theology of the church at that time was in the Western world was largely an escapist theology, and it was unspiritual or carnal to be concerned mm -hmm. about matters of charity. That was for liberals, mm -hmm. which, of course, was a foolish charge. So um, the, the state swooped right into the vacuum and began assuming these responsibilities. Well, accepting Christian charity does not create an obligation to uh, the individual that gives it to you, uh, whereas the state likes the sense of obligation on the, right. on the part of the person that receives it. The local welfare people, I was talking to one of them, and uh, they refer to welfare recipients as clients. I mean, they've been, you know, elevated to client status, which elevates their own personal status to the yeah. to the to the level of a, a professional, like a doctor, a lawyer, uh, you know, a, a highly exalted professional. When all they're doing is, you know, giving away somebody else's money. Yeah. Well, politicians like to buy votes by making promises about the redistribution of wealth. And I mean, they've been doing that for a number of years now, especially in this country, and. That's largely what welfare is all about, also. Yeah, it's, it's getting to be a show game. I mean, we're yeah. broke. We're, you know, something like, what, five and a half trillion dollars in debt of what's on the books, and then we've got another 15, 10 or 15 trillion dollars of unfunded liabilities. So mm -hmm. it's ridiculous for people to give away money they don't have. Yeah. There's another area which is uh, sometimes charitable, and other times. Uh, effective in its work among young people, and that's the summer camp program that churches have. Here in the hill and mountain country, there are any number of camps all through the area sure. that uh, all summer long are busy taking care of young people. Some of them are uh, charity cases, rehabilitation cases. It varies from one uh, campground to another. On top of that, there are the church camps, which do a very important work also in that they are very effective among young and old. All kinds of uh, programs, educational and uh, religious uh, in a broad sense, uh, biblical instruction, exist from coast to coast. For example, this past uh, summer, I went to uh, Virginia where uh, two pastors, Reverend Pete Hurst and Byron Snap, we're holding the second annual conference on a Christian world in my view for older teenagers, college youth. And it was a remarkable experience because the level of maturity of these young people coming from a background of being trained like this was startling. And I came to realize that uh, we are going to have a very superior population in another generation with these young people taking over the leadership. Well, it is interesting to me that 
every year in the summer there will be uh, a segment on television on the news about this or that uh, camp maintained by some community or some group to uh, take children from the slums out of uh, the city to uh, rural or mountain area where they can ride on a pony and uh, see something of nature, all of which is supposed to be very important in rehabilitating them. But there's no moral content. But these are the programs that get a tremendous amount of... uh, Free publicity. Because they're safe. They're politically yes. correct and they're they're safe. Yes. That's the only reason the media will talk about them. Well, one of the things that uh, they're forgetting is that another population is growing up. Yes, that's right. The X Christian community. Yeah. 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 Christian school too. community. Yeah. The products of all these activities. Those uh, students I spoke to in Virginia were very impressive. They will go a long ways as far as they want because they had the intellectual caliber combined with an amazing knowledge of thinking in the Christian world today. Pete Hurst and Byron Snap are doing a remarkable work with that conference. Well, they'll be able to pass it on, and that's yes the great value is once you get the ball rolling, uh, they'll see the value in it and want to perpetuate it. That's right. Sadly, we have an entire generation, my generation and the generation before mine, that... Um, know nothing but the welfare state. Yes. For many of them, their entire mentality is, well, if somebody's poor, well, mm-hmm. who else would take care of them but the state? I mean, they can't even conceive of the idea of private charity. If there's a social problem, the answer is always, what can the state do about it? We are not against the state doing what it can when nobody else is doing anything. And that's how the state came to take over. But what we must stand against is the effort by the state to prevent Christians from acting. Now, one of the problems in the country today, from coast to coast virtually, is that there are many, many earnest groups, hard-working groups, very often poor groups, and a number of them are black churches that are working in the slums to feed people, to try to convert them and are doing a remarkable job, but they have a problem with the city fathers. The building they are using is not a fit place. And the hostility is amazing because many of the people who come to these places to be fed every day are street people. So it's a run-down old building, which was all they could afford, and they cannot afford to fix it up. But they are feeding people. They are clothing them. They are teaching them the meaning of the gospel. So the efforts are many to put them out of business. That's because, again, that the state wants control over things like that. Well, Well, I keep saying that they don't. You know, you remember uh, George Bush's thousand points of light? As long as they're the right points of light, that's okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the current uh, crop of uh, presidential contenders, you know, talk about uh, um, self-help and uh, uh, private charities and so forth, but... You know, they mouth the words, but they don't mean what they're saying. No. As long as they're politically correct and they're state-approved and certified and meet all the requirements and so forth, so that it, so their efforts appear as an extension of the state, then the state yes. will allow it. Yes. But if it's, uh, 
you know, another point of view, yeah. they won't allow it. Well, in uh, one city down in the valley, recently they had a reoccurrence of something that had happened a while back. This mother apparently, in this particular recent incident of the past week, starved one of her six yes. or seven children to death. Deliberately, apparently. And yet, this family and others uh, that have been guilty of serious uh, mistreatment of their children are under the care of a social welfare, welfare worker. Of course, the excuse each time is we have too heavy a workload. We can't keep up with things. Well, they, they need more money. They've got a list of 29 excuses. You know, yes. they just pick a number. I, they're never at a loss for excuses why their system fails. Yes. So uh, such abuses continue, and in spite of promises of reform, nothing is done. Well, first we can say they may have a, a good case in that there are so many cases now that perhaps it is impossible to keep up with them. But then, so many of these cases, even when they are uh, visiting, they make no real recommendation. They just poke their head in, ask a few questions, and uh, wish them well, and they're off on their way. So. The oversight is uh, virtually nil. The welfare worker does very, very little in the way of checking up on the actual conditions. So the conditions go from bad to worse. They're only interested in filing an activity report to justify their existence. They have really no love for nor interest in their quote clients. Uh, some of them I've known by experience also are power hungry. Um, they want control over families and if they can get that control they'll wield that control mm -hmm. in any way that they want to get children out of um, uh, a home school situation or a Christian school situation and get them into foster, secular foster homes. Some of those people are very evil. Part of the problem, I think, is that when, when you take any um, idea, such as whether you're helping, if it's child welfare or any kind of charity, once you centralize it, it's going to be inefficient. The more, right. the more centralized anything is, it's inefficient. That's now, right. if you take something that's sent, even if a private organization is doing it, a few years ago there was a, a real scandal in United Way about mm -hmm. the mis misuse of funds. Um, it's easy to lose track of what's happening and you have to have too many administrators on something that's too large. Now you take something that's highly centralized and you say, now the government's going to run it. The we're going to have a highly centralized government-run operation. Then you know it's, it's doubly inefficient. Mm -hmm. um, charity is something that has to be personal. It has to be people helping people. That's right. Not just money flowing through certain channels and through, through certain bureaucracies. So it has to, you have to be able to keep tabs on people as to what their real needs are and how they can be helped. That's why all charity should be local. I mean, charity is a local matter. And I, I think it's probably legitimate when these workers say, our caseload is too big, we can't mm -hmm. keep track of mm -hmm. them. Because the whole concept of the whole welfare agency, mm -hmm. um, the, the whole organization is geared so that they can't keep proper track. But that's now, by law, that's their, their definition. Mm -hmm. So they've accepted a responsibility that they're admitting case by case when something goes wrong mm -hmm. that they can't handle. And they can't really handle the responsibility yeah. that's entrusted to them. Well, there's an interesting aspect to charity in this country. Besides the very extensive Christian work throughout the last century into this century up until... World War II. Law enforcement officers were once very active in helping the homeless. If you were uh, in a city and you were a poor man, you had lost out on what you had or uh, come to get a job and the job didn't pan out, you could go to the police station. Mm -hmm. And you could tell them of your problem. 
and the police would usher you into a cell that would not be locked, or you could uh, sleep and uh, spend the night and maybe get a meal. Yeah, but they would they act they acted as kind of like a referral agency. They always they knew where the charities were in town, yes. and they would direct a person toward them. They let them stay the night, and then they'd say, you know, next morning go see so and so, and they'll either give you a job or they'll you know get you get you going. Well, there was another thing too. Uh, the bars, mm-hmm. the free lunch was available. There were things that you could get freely at a bar. So you'd go in and get a glass of beer and have a sandwich and uh, a lot of things besides that. But towards the end of the last century, in the 90s, they started to outlaw these free lunches as unsanitary. Well, vast numbers of poor men who would find themselves stranded and jobless or uh, had arrived too late to go anywhere and didn't have the money, mm-hmm. went to a bar and got free lunch for the price of a nickel, a beer. Mm-hmm. Now, there were many things like that that were done. The political bosses uh, had... Uh, lunch baskets for the poor families in the neighborhood, big baskets full of all kinds of food stuff, so that uh, whether it was the churches or it was the bars, the police, or the political bosses, there was a very, very varied form of charity exercised. Mm-hmm. And we must remember that in all these groups, the influence of the church was considerable. The police then uh, were likely to be church people, depending on the city. You could identify what they were likely to be. In Ireland, in the latter part of the century, and to this one, they were Irish cops. Uh, somewhat earlier in uh, Chicago, they were Dutch cops. And uh, they all reflected their church background and were helpful. The uh, barkeepers, too, had, because the culture was still somewhat Christian, a sense of responsibility. Well, now that sense of responsibility has gone from the churches themselves too often. Rush, we haven't touched on something that's almost a thing of the past, and that is orphanages. And oh, one yes. thinks immediately of George Mueller and his work, I believe it was yes. in Bristol, England, and yes. maybe others. But uh, now, of course, there are um, state agents that look yeah. carefully over the shoulder of, of orphans. and They were wiped out yeah. in this state, I know, by World War II and the legislation, and in various states about the same time. They were very, very effective. But uh, we have been crowded out of those fields. Now, there are a number of fields that uh, groups like Cal Seton would like to get into. But we're doing things abroad that we cannot do here. That's right. Isn't that sad and ironic? We could not afford to try it here and face all the legal battles. That's right. Now, what was the Peace Corps if not state-run charity. I mean, that you know, it was yes. branching out into global global charity. Almost a missionary. Uh, exactly. exactly, just a carbon copy. We also haven't touched on state-enforced care for the elderly in this country and how so many children just so easily, when they become middle-aged, give up on their parents and don't recognize their responsibility for their parents. Um, that's well, largely... in railroad stations. That's, you know, they're oh, dumping. Yeah. Parent oh, dumping is, exactly. uh, elder dumping well, has become a new trend. That's right. I heard of a sad case last night of a man I know. He's four years younger than myself, has been a very superior man in his... Uh, activities, the kind of work he's done. Well, now he's 
down with Parkinson's and alone. And although he has very successful children, one very highly placed in uh, Washington, D.C., I believe, none are interested in him. Uh, they've got their own fish to fry, is their attitude apparently. And some old friends are sending him checks, and the state is providing someone who comes in and cares for him ostensibly. But now what we find out is that the friends who have been sending him checks to enable him to do a little better than these meager funds he receives through the state, well, their checks are forged by the employees who are sent in. Oh, dear. So, if you have a, chair, a welfare program without a Christian faith, why not? Mm -hmm. I was shocked to hear of that. It could be an isolated instance, but uh, what reason is there to believe it's isolated? If you don't have a Christian conscience, and here is someone who doesn't know what's happening part of the time, it would be very easy uh, to forge his name and cash his checks and then to say, well, maybe the signature doesn't look authentic, but That's he's not, yes, he's not very competent now, and he may think he never got it, but he got it. Well, that's become quite a criminal enterprise now. There are predators now who look for those kinds of situations so that they can take advantage of them. They, uh, they uh, uh, fabricate um, uh, letters of, uh, you know, testimonials from supposed former clients that they work uh -huh. for, and uh, they fabricate all of the credentials so that they can win the confidence of someone who's in a situation like that just so that they can get their hands on the money. I have a relative in my family who just went through the same thing, but he's still sharp enough he caught him. And uh, this woman is sent her to jail. Uh, she got away with several thousand dollars before he you know, realized there was something haywire. Um, but the other thing I was going to point out, the curious parallel between elder dumping and uh, what... Uh, uh, the Indians did. The Plains Indians, if you couldn't ride, if you got too old to ride a horse and you couldn't carry your your weight, they'd just leave you. You know, they'd give you some food for a few days and they'd just leave you out in the middle of nowhere to die. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I mean, it's descended to uh, to the to the level of savages. Yeah, that's right. No, that's exactly right. Well, we have a major crisis because welfareism is failing. The Christian community must begin to reestablish Christian charity. I think every church could begin, as a number of black churches have done, with the people in their area or their own members, relatives, friends, who are in desperate need. If every church in this country, it has been said by a statistician, could take care of three families, the problem would disappear. Well, there are big churches that could take care of more than three families. Those that can take care of only one or half a family those churches could come together and accomplish a great deal. A big problem there, though, Rush, is that a lot of churches today, especially the so-called evangelical churches, have an escapist sort of theology, yes. uh, according to which they say, well, this isn't our problem. You know, um, this is the responsibility of the state. It's not our responsibility. So there also has to be a change in their theology. And, of course, that's another thing Calcedon is doing, getting people to change theologically so that they'll be in a position where they will exercise the right kind of charity and have the right rationale for it. Do they do they have the point of view that the state creates poverty? 
or creates dependency? I think and many of them. Therefore, not the church's problem. Well, yeah, but I think many no. of them don't even think that far. Uh, they're waiting to be raptured. Exactly. A lot of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they yeah. don't care about problems. They're, they're dualists. You know, the important thing is the spiritual part of man. You know, by which they mean non-material. You know, feeling good about Jesus and and going to heaven. And um, for that reason, they don't they don't care about charity. The guy who said man does not live by bread alone, try living without it for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think to the extent that they become involved in charities such as soup kitchens, it's a means of of just preaching the gospel. That's it's, right. It's not really a means of, of helping people. It's it's good mean, point. It's a means of yeah of, of um, <laughs> it's, an, it's it's of it's winning a, souls. Yeah, it's a captive uh, audience. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Souls. Yeah, so well, they don't care it for their evangelistic mm-hmm. program. Yeah. Uh, that's still good, however, and that's better than yes. none, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, many groups, like the Salvation Army, have used it very effectually. And uh, most of these poor have enough decency so that if somebody feeds them and gives them a bed for the night, they feel it's only fair for them to listen to what they have to say to the preaching. Yes. Well, look at the numbers. I've heard it quoted frequently that there's 40, between 40 and 45 million people who go to church every Sunday. There's something like 80 percent, uh, between 80 and 90 percent of the people in this country that consider themselves of Christian heritage, if not practicing Christians. Yet uh, the overstated figures of the homeless is somewhere around 6 million. But the actual figures are somewhere, you know, around a few hundred thousand. And they're most primarily clustered around the major cities because, you know, that's where the government hands out uh, its its attempt to, to help. So those are pretty good odds. Uh, you know, if you've got 40 million people who are committed enough to go to church every every Sunday, there ought to be enough of them to help the 600,000 or so that need the help. Yeah. The problem could be easily solved. Our time is just about up. Does anyone have a concluding statement they'd like to make? Well, the answer to the problem is a revival of a vital Christian faith and applying it in all areas of life. And, of course, one of those is godly charity. And that's what the church needs to be doing. And tithing. Tithing, yes. And one of the greatest impediments to to tithing today is is our heavy taxation. That's right. We've allowed the state to become so big that it's become so oppressive. They're distributing our tithe for us, yes. Anything else? Well, thank you all for listening, and God bless you.